with Alison Young today. She's our T2, T3 Research Fellow at Sydney Catalyst, working predominantly on a smoking cessation and genetic mainstreaming project. But today we're going to be talking about smoking cessation. So welcome, Alison. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much for having me. So you've been with Sydney Catalyst for a little while now. How did you get involved in cancer research? I actually started off working in paediatric oncology with Claire Wakefield and her team over there um, in Sydney Children's Hospital Roundwick. And that's how I, I kind of found myself into cancer research. And then I thought it would be a really good idea to do a PhD. And so I started looking into different areas and eventually started a PhD with Professor Phyllis Buto. We were trying to find out well, how we could do a project where I could still work with Dr. Wakefield and with Professor Buto. And so in the end, it was looking at uh, genetic testing for uh, young adults with a BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene mutation. So I interviewed families and found out how health professionals were helping them. I started finding out about different postdoc opportunities and actually one of Phyllis's postdocs was saying to me, come apply for this job at Sydney Catalyst. And to be honest, I was thinking, oh, I have no idea what that is about, but <laughs> sounds interesting. Let's give it a shot. And that's how I found myself in implementation research. We know, and the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare have shown that smoking statistics are improving across the board. And in 2019, 11% of people 14 and older smoked daily, which was down from 24% in 1991. 16.6 years of age was the average age at which 14 to 24-year-olds started smoking for the first time compared to 14.3 years in 2001. Yeah, I thought, I was like, that's crazy. Imagine starting smoking at 14. Yeah. Obviously, I'm not cool. (laughs) In 2018, 9.6% of women smoked at some point during their pregnancy, which is down from 14.6% in 2009, and only 2.1% of households with dependent children reported smoking inside the home in 2019, and this has declined from 20% in 2001. Wow, that's that's a huge drop. Yeah, so even though we've had a lot of success in making cessation I guess, within mainstream society, tobacco consumption still contributes to 22% of cancer burden. And there's widespread literature which demonstrates that continued tobacco smoking in cancer patients is associated with increased treatment toxicity, a higher risk of treatment failure, higher incidence of second primary tumours, and a poorer quality of life and shorter survival. I guess this sort of formulates part of your research, which is looking into implementing a smoking cessation pathway within cancer services that ensures that smoking cessation is embedded into clinical practice by providing a customized referral decision prompt. So you're really trying to get clinicians and allied health professionals to streamline the way that smoking cessation practices are rolled out within the clinical setting. Is that right? Yeah, 100%. So we know that in general, oncologists are asking the question at the initial consult, whether a patient is a smoker 
so identifying whether they are or not. So identification is pretty good, but it's a follow-up and referral of patients to appropriate services that isn't standardised and isn't happening across the board. And Cancer Institute talked about how, you know, it's easy to bring up the, the question, do you smoke? And the patient saying yes or no in the initial consult and then going on with the, the rest of the assessment. But by asking the question and then not doing anything about it, it kind of gives the false impression to the patient that maybe they don't have to address that issue. I mean, there are other maybe more important concerns that they should be thinking about, which could be the case when it's treatment and, you know, the first consult is about chemotherapy or radiation. But given that we do know that by stopping smoking can really greatly improve treatment-related success and improve healing after treatment, you know, by quitting. So it's one thing that is really good to hear from staff when they are actually encouraging patients to refer on because then they're showing to the patients, hey, this is something that's really important. We And we got the resources available to show you who to talk to or where you could get further support from. Yeah, so just on your the effects of quitting smoking over time, I read some interesting stats about that, which support the, the clinical need to introduce a, a streamlined smoking cessation pathway because the effects come into place like relatively quickly after quitting. So mm. within 20 minutes, um, your heart rate and blood pressure drop. Within two to 12 weeks, you can see improved circulation and improved lung function. And within six weeks, the risk of wound infection after surgery is substantially reduced. So there's obviously an imperative there. It's important to to try and raise these with um, patients who smoke as it could be of benefit really in the short term, not just the long term. Yeah, that's right. And it's also, there's research to say that quitting at any age is beneficial. I think there's also the perception that it's too late to quit once damage is done or it's been so long now, like I'm, I've been doing it for 30 years plus, like what would be the benefit of doing it, of quitting? But actually you can reverse the effects of smoking quite rapidly after quitting at any age. And they say that even quitting at 60 years old can increase life expectancy by three years compared to those who continue to smoke. So what sort of pathways are you referring or asking clinicians and health professionals to refer patients to? What are the options to quit smoking? Yeah, Uh, so at this point we chose, there's a few, it depended on the service and the hospital and what they had provided already. Generally, for all patients who are smoker, a brochure was provided about Quitline. If they wanted to quit, then a quit pack was also provided. And then so Quitline was one of the main services that staff were referring to. Then nicotine replacement therapy. One other support was through a cancer counsel liaison officer, or, you know, preferably would be a smoking cessation officer, but they're not very common within the service. So a cancer counsel liaison would sometimes be the one that would be providing that follow-up care that oncologists would be referring them to. So those were our main referral um, pathways and services. What are some of the early results that you're seeing? Great, yeah, because we're still currently rolling it out. But in general, the oncologists and nursing staff have been quite interested in proving their pathways in their service. However, we have found that, you know, oncologists have said it's quite, they're quite busy, it's quite difficult. And I think with COVID, it's made it even more difficult. But what I have found is that if 
a staff member finds that this is something they're really interested in or they see the benefit of this and they pick it up and run with it, they really do have a positive impact on those around them to keep doing it. It's not easy to get a whole a whole boat on board, but you might get a few of the crew members. So given that, you know, there's evidence out there to suggest that it's clinically effective and important to improving health outcomes for patients with cancer, do you think there's an argument that can be made that more investment should be made into, say, specialised smoking cessation offices that could play the role of having these sorts of discussions, freeing up some of this time that's currently being taken up by, say, oncologists or nurse practitioners who, for them, maybe this is not the highest priority. Yes, I agree with that. I think that there is a, a missing piece in the puzzle. Having a cancer council liaison officer, someone on, on site who can actually provide one-on-one follow-up or you know, one-on-one face-to-face care with regard to smoking cessation, I think will really benefit patients, but not only them, but the staff because they are time poor and they're good at identifying, but then providing that ongoing check-in. Hey, I know that last time we spoke, you know, you, you said that you're smoking 30 packets a day. Um, has that, has that, how's that been going for you? You know, has that decreased or is there anything we can do to support you in that? And staff have over the time that I've been working here that they've really said yes it would be really nice to have a liaison officer. Do you think that one of the barriers to getting widespread support for such resourcing is that smoking and its health impact is kind of now being seen as a bit of a taboo? It may be difficult for for smokers to to come forward and and address it as an issue because you know there is a taboo around smoking and and cancer yeah i think especially with talking to cancer patients and telling them especially lung cancer patients saying by the way um i think it's good for you to stop smoking some clinicians find that really difficult as to how to communicate and to broach that topic without appearing judgmental or or criticizing them Mm. when in actual fact there's probably a variety of different factors that came into play for it but yeah it's such an important need and not only for one specific cancer type but we try to roll this study out for all types of cancer because we see it as a benefit for all patients and but that was really interesting too because um, when talking to clinicians some of them said you know it's easy to broach the topic with people with bladder or testicular cancer because it's quite clear that smoking is related to their cancer but someone with prostate cancer it's a bit unrelated so it's a bit harder to broach that topic when the patient may say yes I'm a smoker they feel like there's other issues or other lifestyle factors that they can talk with the patient that are probably more important. I mean that's interesting given that the the complexity of cancer it's impossible to say that one lifestyle factor alone is the reason for someone's cancer diagnosis and yet there's a perception that if it's a certain type of cancer it's more closely related to to being a smoker than other forms of cancer and that that may make it easier or harder for health professionals to have these conversations. Yeah, that's right. And there's also this other perception. I mean, it's not talked about, you know, overtly, but especially when it's cancer patients and we're talking about people who may have recurrent cancer and, you know, unremitting. And so some clinicians feel that it's difficult to broach that topic of quitting because they think 
think, well, maybe you don't have that long. It's easy just to let you enjoy that part of life. It's a delicate balance there because in the end, if the person has been smoking for a long period of time, it is, you know, by quitting, it will have the long-term positive impact on the person. But initially, it, it is going to be difficult to quit because of the withdrawal symptoms. I think it potentially highlights something that I think is a bit more pervasive within our healthcare system, which is, you know, as we were talking before, that this inability to have particularly difficult conversations, whether it's around smoking cessation or palliative care or the process of dying, that mm. these are things I think as a Western culture, we find very difficult to tackle and to have in a sensitive way. So the default is to just not have them at all. Mm. Um, and I think that I think as a society, we need to get better at having conversations that may lead to conflict, but also may help resolve really difficult situations or decisions that people yeah. have to make throughout their life. I agree. And I think when it comes to the topic of smoking, one of the nursing staff had put it quite nicely when she chatted with me in that she does it non-judgmentally by saying to her and communicating with her patients that, look, I, I've been there before. I was a smoker. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done trying to quit. And coming from that point of view and from that stance, a lot of her patients that she calls to follow up tell her, look, I'm quite happy for you to keep following me up. Um, I actually like our conversations because I know that you understand me. I know that you're not coming from a point of view, you know, which I think a lot of clinicians are afraid of that, you know, by saying, you know, that you're, you need to quit smoking, that maybe we're going to tell them that, you know, it was their fault. But like you said before, if we can provide it, the information to them in a non-judgmental and in a way that informs them that this is the choices that they have and by quitting, it can greatly improve their health and, and has a lot of benefits, then, then in the end, it's up to them to make mm. that choice. But I think also, you know, that articulating that there are resources and you know as a health profession we have the resources to support a patient with whatever their decision is and I think like you said that that non-judgmental approach um, is something that's really important so that people know that a they have the information to make a choice but also the resources to help them to fulfill that choice yes I agree and I think with the pathway we are trying our best to try and streamline it so that there's not so many checkpoints for the patient to go from. That's why in, in one of the services we've tried to bring nicotine replacement therapy in-house so that the patient just needs to be flagged as, yes, they have before NRT and then the pharmacy department will provide a pack within the service straight to the patient in cancer services mm -hmm. so that it's the barriers of trying to go to the pharmacist and getting the, the actual product is eliminated. And do you think that that's made a difference? We hope so. Or that's to be seen. <laughs> to be seen right now. <laughs> well, I guess it's, it's probably quite hard to answer at this point in time, but I think it would be interesting to sort of know if it's become potentially harder for people to quit when there's a large scale social or economic insecurity at play, for example, at the moment during a pandemic. And so the underlying stress that comes with living in such uncertain times and whether that's impacted on you know, people's ability to, to engage with this smoking cessation pathway. Yes, I agree. I, well, I think on both ends, as a, as a patient and as a staff member, I think as 
health professionals, it's been hard because a lot of their appointments have changed to online telehealth um, appointments. And so then it's easy to just resort back to, you know, the standard process of what to ask and what to say and not have these extra bits of pathways that we're trying to implement. You know, they feel like there's a lot to say in, in only a few hours or, sorry, only a few minutes. So it's a lot of the questions do get missed. And then nursing staff may not see patients straight away or like see them face to face and be able to have a quick casual conversation about their smoking status. And so that's that falls to the wayside too. I think in general, it's just... A heightened time of stress and anxiety and uncertainty and so we're likely to go back to our habits that will try to self-soothe and I think smoking is one of them. I think a lot of people know it's a problem and that's the thing that a lot of people know I think within Australia we know that smoking kills and so that's why I think the stigma and the taboo is so much attached to it. It's something that can be changed in our lives. I think that it's if we know it's bad and we can find the right support and that might take time because it might be going to a GP and asking referral to NRT. It might be calling quit line. It might be asking referral to a psychologist to help. I know some people have said they read the book, so they just self-help. Um, reading Alan Carr's Easy Way to Stop Smoking and <laughs> said to me that it's actually helped them. So, you know, I think when you realise that the benefits outweigh the cost, I think that's when you realise, okay, the comfort of that behaviour really doesn't seem desirable anymore. I think also, you know, trying to embed in our healthcare system compassion from health professional towards patient, but also self-compassion that regardless of why one might have started smoking, um, having compassion that, you know, this is a health issue and it does cost our health system and our economy and that, you know, these patients are, are deserving of our compassion and our time and our help. It's a benefit to everyone yeah. to sort of try and mainstream these sorts of practices. And and for a health professional to say, look, I think this I should be and I want to be encouraging you to quit because it's the best advice I can give you now and these are the options. Yeah, I think it's it does really um, speak for itself for patients that, okay, a health professional has said this to me and this is important for my health. So, yeah, we really need the oncologists and all areas of the team, so the nursing and allied health, to be on board of saying this is an important area in a non-confrontational way. So it's, it's, it's really trying to say, this, we see this as a really important area and we see it as an important area of your health, just like exercises and nutrition is. And we know that, that that will really help you greatly going forward with treatment and with just your general well-being. And here are the options. So we're almost out of time. Do you have anything else that you'd like to say? Well, I think that's everything. And um, thank you so much for the opportunity and... Oh, that's all right. My pleasure. Wonderful. Yeah. I hope I hope that we can inspire other people and yeah, encourage them in this area. Catalysis is produced by Sydney Catalyst. Music is by Lean Vision and distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial and non-derivatives license. Until next time, thanks for listening.